Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. I'm kind of an introvert. I gathered my courage and went to the stage and started presenting. And I couldn't get, uh, get half halfway through. So it was really, really crippling at that time. I was super, I mean, anxious <laughs> giving that presentation, but I made halfway through and that was my success. I wouldn't take that as my failure. So it was my success and next time I would do better. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Namaste and welcome to an episode where we'll take you on a journey all the way to Kathmandu in Nepal. Yes, indeed. Today, we're speaking with Sonika Mananda, who's out to bust any preconceived ideas of what a young Nepalese entrepreneur may be aspiring to. That's for sure. Sonica is a former senior software developer for Microsoft, who's now a fintech founder committed to improving the lives of women small business owners in Nepal. She also happens to be one of Nepal's highest flyers, almost literally, as she was selected to participate in international space training at the Korean Aerospace Research Institute not that long ago. So cool. And not only that, Sonica was named a National Geographic Explorer for 2020, a UN Young Champion of the Earth in 2019, and she's attended Singularity University where exponential thinking is cultivated. It's really quite a stellar lineup for someone who's still only 31, isn't it? It certainly is. So these days, Sonica is co-founder and CTO of Alloy Technologies, an innovative social enterprise and fintech that uses digital tokens to facilitate affordable loans to Nepali small businesses that are working in a sustainable and climate-friendly fashion. You know, think things like electric minibuses and sustainable agriculture. Exactly. So in our discussion today, you'll hear how Sonica is going about creating change when her customers have very low literacy levels. Her advice for introverts, how her use of digital is helping to build trust between financiers and female-run businesses, and her inspiring advice for women who want to start their own business. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with the purposeful and pioneering Sonica Manander. Sonica, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here and very excited for today. Well, so are we because... You, I am imagining, are speaking to us from Kathmandu in Nepal right now. Is that correct? That is very much correct. 
Oh, and so how is life and COVID there right now? Well, it's looking a bit better than one month ago because one month ago we, we had the second wave of very serious and urgent things happening here in Nepal. The lockdown are easing up. People are going out. There's a lot of vaccination drive that are happening. So things are looking positive than one month ago. Well, that's fantastic to hear that things are easing up and the, the vaccines are, are making way their way in a good sense. So that's fantastic. Now, diving in, a question we love to start our conversation with guests is this. If you met someone at a dinner party that you hadn't met before, how would you describe to them if they asked you what you do today? Being a person from tech, that's always a hard question for me, right? <laughs> to explain what we do uh, to a person who doesn't know anything about what we do. Uh, so usually I, I'd like to, uh, you know, explain about who we work with. So that's what I start with at least. So we work to empower the women micro entrepreneurs, the women in business from the very, very grassroots level who struggle to get the access to finance that they need to grow their business. And the only reason for that is the trust between them and the funders. And funders could be banks, funders could be any kind of private or public sector funders, right? So yeah, that's one thing that really drive what we do is how do they grow trust with the funders? That's what we're trying to solve. We are trying to grow more and more trust for them to have money to basically grow their business and then grow their family, right? Uh, families, uh, economic status, let's say. And we do that uh, by using digital token to show the funder where the money is going right now and to show them that their money is making the impact that it's supposed to make. So it's kind of a transparent monitoring of the fund um, and really channeling that to the hands of grassroots women micro entrepreneurs who actually need it. That's fascinating. So, and we're going to delve into this in much more detail a little bit later, mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like it's sort of like a key add-on to the microfinance process where you're adding a layer of transparency and, as you say, therefore trust building that the use of the funds loaned to these micro entrepreneurs is actually being used as it was declared. Yes, that is absolutely right. That's where we are starting from. That's so fascinating and we can't wait to learn more. What we'd love to do now is take you back as we do with all of our guests and ask you, what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up and what was it like? I am a Kathmandu native, uh, so I grew up in Kathmandu, so my family is from Kathmandu. Well, uh, my childhood, uh, as I remember, I, I always wanted to <laughs> be an astronaut <laughs> for some reason. So I always was fascinated about, uh, you know, going to space, always had that kind of technical mind. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. But, you know, if, if someone asked me what I want to be a uh, doctor or engineer, I definitely choose engineer from the very, very early age, right? I always felt very close with the machines and tools and stuff like that. So yeah, and, and my family totally supported me with that, which is why today I'm a computer engineer, right? And unfortunately, I couldn't pursue um, aerospace because it was not available in Nepal at that time. And what do you think at that young age interested you and got you interested in machines and how things worked as well as space? 
yeah so machines and i i guess it's it's it all comes from my uh father um and interesting thing my father used to be one of the micro entrepreneur who started his business journey by buying this minivan that runs around nepal um so he started his business then and i was very close to this transport i mean vehicles and you know tools and stuff garages <laughs> that's what i uh looked at when i grew up and and also i think the entrepreneurial streak uh, that's in me is also coming from that family background my desire my my dream of being an astronaut i don't have the concrete answer but i think it's just you know i i always wanted to watch earth from the very top right so that that was my feeling of what's beyond that sky that that was the uh, feeling that i had when i was a kid and i was always keen to learn more about what's there <laughs> Yeah. You know, I read that you actually did have a chance to finally do some space studies in Korea, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> How uh, exciting. Yeah, that that was pretty exciting. I got nominated to go to Korea Aerospace Research Institute and they they had this international space training. So I got an opportunity to represent Nepal there and get some trainings um in on space technology and specifically the cameras and sensors that they use in in satellite and very close look at at their uh testing facility. I mean, I was awestruck when I <laughs> when I went there. Yeah, incredible. Well, I'm I'm going to wind back now to a little bit earlier in your education. Mm-hmm. And you went on after school to study computer engineering because you couldn't study space. Yes. What was it like in a class where I, I believe only 4% of your peers were female? Mhm. Yes, our class was uh, more fortunate than other classes because we had uh, eight women out of 28 total students. But the other classes, you know, the electronics communications uh, engineers, they only had two females out of 150 um, in total. So we were quite fortunate. But definitely when I started back in 2007, uh, when I started uh, engineering, it was really, really less. One of the funny story, I always love to share this. I wanted to participate in one of the hackathon when I just completed my engineering. So I saw this post saying, oh, there's a hackathon going on and it was an overnight hackathon. Um, so I, first thing what I did was to check if there is any other uh, female participating. <laughs> and uh, it's funny that I checked that uh, maybe also because it was overnight. So that, that was my mindset. And I, I saw one name that's a female name. And I signed up for a hackathon and I got selected. I went there and the whole day passed and I didn't see any other single female in in that hackathon, right? And uh, the next day when we were returning, one of the guy came and he he said that he spelled that name and I I found that the female kind of name was his name. Oh no! <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, but I, I was so glad it was it was my first ever hackathon, and I probably wouldn't go there if if I didn't see any other females' name there, right? But I'm so glad that I went there, and I always share this um, story to all my training classes, to all the females there, because we always try to see if there's other female attending or not, and not go if there's nobody else attending, right? So I always encourage them to just go and just try it out and see how it goes. Uh, so that that's uh, something I learned very early. Absolutely. Well, you know, you're probably the first and then you go and then more women will go. That's very right. Yeah. And when you left uni, you got a job with Microsoft. How did that happen? 
Yes, it, it was a Microsoft Innovation Center Nepal. So when I was studying in the university, I was selected as a Microsoft Student Partners. So what they do uh, here in Nepal and other countries as well is they used to select a student leader who would, uh, you know, promote the newer technology of Microsoft to this college and community. So that's when I um, gathered <laughs> my courage to apply for that, and I got selected. I don't know if I mentioned, but I, I, I'm kind of an introvert. And and during my university, I was more of an introvert, not even talking to my peers, right? Uh, so that, that experience really uh, led me to talk to many of the student communities and to also um, get to know the market, the IT market. And I got the internship in my last semester of engineering. So they wanted someone to develop this Flower Finder app. It, it was an image recognition app that they wanted to build in Windows Phone. And at that time, 2011, Windows Phone was just coming to the market, no development resources or anything. So I, I thought, let's let's give it a try and let's see. I mean, worst thing can happen is, you know, I might not be able to develop that app, but then let's try. I applied for that internship and I got it. And last day of the internship, they um, offered me a job. That's how my career started. That's fantastic. You know, it's interesting you say that you, your introversion was maybe a little bit crippling when you were at university. What do you think if you were kind of giving somebody advice who was very much an introvert, what would your advice be to them in terms of, you know, stepping outside the comfort zone? Mm -hmm. I think for me, it always has been that specific moment, right? Um, be it applying for Microsoft or to just uh, simply hand raise whenever someone asks the question. So if I do it right then, I sign up for that and I'm committed for that and I have to do that. So that's how everything happened to me, at least. One specific moment for me was when I was at university, our, our class used to do a learning day every week. And one of the students from the class would prepare a presentation and um, go in front of the class and do the presentation. So I, at that time, I was doing a presentation about USB 3.0. I choose, chose the topic. I raised my hand and I signed myself up for that. So I had to do that. Uh, so I gathered my courage and went to the stage and started presenting. And I couldn't get, uh, get half halfway through. So it was really, really crippling at that time. I was super, I mean, anxious <laughs> giving that presentation, but I made halfway through and that was my success. I wouldn't take that <laughs> as my failure. So, you know, let yourself uh, relax, let yourself be proud of at least getting yourself halfway through, right? Otherwise you can also take it as failure because you couldn't complete the presentation. But for me, it was, oh, I went to that stage. I prepared this presentation. I at least said something halfway through. So it was my success. And next time I would do better. So I think that's the way you don't have to uh, take all in. You can take one step at a time and another step other time and you'll gradually improve. So it, it, it takes a time. It, it's a process. Yeah, that's such a great mindset to have. And, you know, well done you for having such a kind of mature growth mindset view in, in those kind of scenarios. So there you are, fresh out of uni at M the Microsoft Innovation Center in Nepal. That must have been pretty exciting. What did being exposed to that working life with Microsoft and seeing what they were doing with technology, what did that make you think you wanted to do with technology? 
From the very uh, early age, my mindset was really, really uh, purpose-driven. So I, I always knew that whatever I do should fulfill some purpose and should solve some problem. That's how I signed up when I was in the university as a Microsoft student partner. I signed myself up as a developer for a software kiosk, which at the time was solving a great problem of internet bandwidth and people not being able to so- uh, download the software from the internet, right? So uh, the software kiosk would be in the university and any students um, of the university can come with their USB drive and get any software that they want. So that really gave me, you know, a kind of satisfaction that whatever I build is really solving that problem. And that also continued during my career um, at Microsoft Innovation Center. I, I switched a lot of roles. I joined in as a software developer. Uh, I uh, got to train a lot of IT students, more than 1,200s of them in my entire career. I, I I used to organize hackathons and that was really interesting to see how the students were building something that really solved a problem. And then I moved on to become a project manager and uh, later I uh, got shifted as a digital financial services lead. And, you know, it sounds like both teaching others and also learning yourself is really something that's very core to you. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, I think you got the opportunity to go to Singularity University. That's right. Maybe you could explain for our listeners what Singularity University is and what that experience was. The program I was there uh, for was Global Solutions Program, and it's, they bring in professionals and individuals from all over the world for a few weeks and try to use exponential technologies to solve global challenges such as climate change. At that time, 2017, it was themed at climate change. So basically, they came together, teamed up um, to say, okay, I'm going to use AI to solve this problem, and I'm going to use blockchain to, to solve this problem or robotics to solve this problem, right? So it was quite intense, but it was quite life-changing as well um, in terms of the network that you get to meet uh, during uh, during that time. People like uh, Ray Kurzweil, Jonathan Knowles, and um, uh, you know Sylvia Earle, and, and the first private astronaut, Anushan Sari. So you, you get to meet a lot of people, executives um, from Silicon Valley. So I think rather than the technology or the information or, or the training that we get, the most valued thing for me was the people I met during Singularity University program, the network. I still am connected to people like Jenny, right? I mean, she used to be my yeah. buddy from Singularity University. So they assigned buddy. <laughs> and for our listeners, Jenny, big shout out to Jenny. Jenny was yeah. the one that connected us. Sonica, I have to ask, you know, presumably this was your first ever trip outside of Nepal. What was your impression of, you know, Silicon Valley coming from Kathmandu? Oh, well, I had a pretty uh, funny experience the first time in the US because I had no idea they'd have to have a credit card for you to sign up in the hotel. <laughs> so they basically denied me in the hotel because I didn't have a credit card in Nepal. We don't have a credit card, right? So that was my first experience. But then I think Silicon Valley was was also one of a kind experience. Uh, definitely the eight weeks we were in the bubble, NASA Ames, um, we hardly used to go out. But I really like the vibe there. It's all about building and technology and startups, right? So it was quite a nice experience. 
Yeah, it's it's a great, and everyone is really open to sharing and helping mm-hmm. you. That's what we found. Yeah, yeah. Even even the Uber, ex- I had a quite funny Uber experiences there. So I was with with one of the Uber driver, and he started talking. Usually, I don't talk. I'm with myself, so I I don't talk. But that time, I was talking, and he was talking, and he said he was driving Uber to headhunt engineers around Silicon Valley, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant what a tactic <laughs> exactly it was quite funny and I was like hmm that's a very very good idea you know you you meet all sorts of people uh, in Uber <laughs> and you yeah. can really hire hire engineers <laughs> so that was quite an experience very entrepreneurial yes <laughs> and talking about entrepreneurial you went on to co-found a fintech in 2019 uh, your current company Alloy Technologies yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what Alloy does? Yes. So the reason uh, Alloy born and why Tiffany, my co-founder, and I am so much into it is uh, we really want to design for women, especially the women micro-entrepreneurs who don't have enough access to finance, and which is why their businesses, their wonderful businesses that's uh, tackling climate change from the very grassroots level, are struggling from 25 to 30 years now. So we uh, want to see how you know, when we talk about this big impact investment, we never know how much of that really goes into the hands of grassroots, right? So we really want to make that connection. For example, if the funders cannot trust if their fund is actually being used to the business, which might be the case most of the time, we are saying, we will give you the tool, uh, we will give you the monitoring software where uh, you can give out loans, initial token, and you can see where the money is right now in the platform so that you can really build that trust uh, with the micro entrepreneur and really help them uh, really fund them more so that their business grow from micro to, you know, bigger than that. I think it's, it's really fantastic that you're focusing on transparency in funding and you're funding women entrepreneurs. What are the key areas that you're focused on in terms of products? Right. So currently we are in two different sectors. One is agriculture and another is electric vehicles, green energy uh, mobility. And there is a reason why we chose this two sector, right? Uh, We definitely like to call ourselves sector agnostic. We are. (laughs) But we chose this two sector because uh, we saw that a lot of women are in this sector. In Nepal, a lot of men of the house are abroad uh, working and there are only women uh, left in the house to do the farming and agriculture. And we thought, you know, we should help them um, grow their business. Maybe agriculture can bring their husbands back, right? (laughs) And similarly, uh, for the green energy, Nepal has has a history of being a green city pioneer. Uh, so, so at that time, 1995, Kathmandu launched 700 of electric minibuses, and it used to be the highest number of fleet of electric vehicles all around the world. <laughs> wow, how forward thinking. Yes, and it's quite interesting that all of those were driven by women. I mean, at that time, I was five years old. <laughs> And now I'm 30, uh, 31 years old and the industry is still there, but then it's dying a slow death, right? Um, these women, it's so hard for them to sustain their business because they have to continuously upgrade their technology, their batteries and everything. I mean, 30 years, everything have evolved. But then what's not evolved is the way they can get access to finance. 
So women, uh, they find it very hard to access the finance than men. Sometimes it's as simple as making that trip to the bank, right? It's very intimidating for them. Or second, collaterals. They usually don't have the collaterals. Even if they own any property, they are usually not the decision maker of the house. So they cannot say, I'm going to put this property that I own as a collateral and get the finance and drive my temple. <laughs> they can't really mm-hmm. say that. So it's really not working. So we saw that there is a need to design for women, putting them at the center of the design and and really expand to other, right? What do you think if you had to come up with one thing that's been the most challenging thing to get this idea off the ground has been? What would it be? One uh, is definitely, I mean, we are a cash-based economy even now. Definitely COVID have changed it a bit, uh, but people like cash. And when we talk about digital token, even if they have a benefit over the time, they don't see it instantly and they are very hesitant to use a digital token and they feel we are restricting their spending, which is for their own good, right? But then it's it's very hard for us to convince them. So we are trying to find uh, different incentives for them to start using it. And once they start seeing the benefit, then it will be uh, like daily uses. Um, so yeah, that's one of the hurdle. And another uh, second, if I have to say the second challenge is how to really design our product for the low literacy users because they are not digital friendly. They're, they they have very, very low literacy. So it's very hard for us to design a product that really matches their needs. So we are really improving on that. Gosh, those two things sound very challenging. Yeah. Can you think of any actual individual story of a woman you know of who's taken advantage of getting finance because she was accepting the use of the digital tokens and how that's changed things for her? Can you share any examples that might come to mind? Yes, I'd like to share the recent story uh, of Devi Shrestha. Uh, she is one of the women uh, driver who owns these electric minibuses. She started her driving career very early, like 17 years ago, I guess. And she found it very hard to make the, the other driver trust her to learn driving. <laughs> so her, her journey of untrust started from there, right? So mm. she persistently uh, used to uh, wait in the station for two hours to make sure the driver really trains her. And then after that, the person, the owner of the uh, the Safa Temple, the minibus, was not trusting her again to drive it in the public route. He was hesitant that she wouldn't drive well. So second journey of untrust, right? And uh, one of the stories that she shared with us was she was in the parking and the driver went for the bathroom. She was in the driving seat uh, just for the parking. She was just waiting for the other driver to come and drive. And the passengers were full and they were saying, um, so they call, sister is called Didi uh, in Nepali. So they said, Didi, let's go. I mean, we're full. And she did, She thought about it. And she, she thought, okay, this is my chance to drive in the actual public road. So she actually <laughs> just took the tempo away <laughs> from, from the other real driver. And that's how she started driving. And uh, now she owns two uh, minibuses herself. Once she used to only be a driver, now she owns two, uh, two minibuses. But now what, what is happening is she is only able to upgrade one electric battery for her one tempo, but the other tempo is just sitting there in garage. And which is why, uh, you know, once she was able to call her husband back from abroad to really drive the second Safa Tempo, 
that was her success story that she was saying I was able to earn enough in this industry that I I was able to own two of the minibuses and I was able to even call my husband who used to be um, a migrant worker in other country. He came here, drove that, but now her problem is one of the tempo is just sitting there in garage because she cannot get the financing to upgrade the vehicle battery. It's all about 11,000 US dollars, which is why her husband is again forced to work elsewhere and the recent success story for us, for Alloy and, and for Devi, um, uh, is that we are able to connect her with one of the commercial banks and she will be able to get the financing for her next uh, minibus um, and with, with a very, very subsidized interest loan, which used to be in the usual case, 18 to 22% uh, is now coming down to 3 to 5%. Uh, so that's one of the success stories that we had recently. Brilliant. So, so basically, you know, she had a, an asset she couldn't use in that second minibus, so to speak. And thanks to the work that you've done, she was able to access the finance to be able to use and plan to get this one, this second van back on the road and earning money for her. That's right. Brilliant. What advice do you have for young women out there who are interested in starting their own businesses? I always suggest people to find their own ways. I've always found my journey to be very unique than others. And I have heard people suggesting or advising people to do this and that to to find success, right? And which I really don't believe because every person's journey is different. If you want to start business right after your graduation, do it. If you want to, you know, complete your master's and then start a business, do it. If you want to just uh, work on a 10 to 5 job for a few years and then start the business, do it. But don't stop yourself. Don't pause somewhere, right? Um, if you if you feel you're more comfortable running the business and that's, that's your ultimate goal and you think you're ready, then just go for it. Don't stop yourself. And sometimes what I've also seen um, is people are hesitant to try out their idea thinking it's not worth it or or uh, people are hesitant because they think uh, it's not possible. What I would like to suggest is you never know until you try. So just go out there, get your hands dirty, talk with the users that you want to work with and know from them rather than self-rejecting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a one sentence suggestion is just go for it, whatever you're trying to do. Uh, I love that go for it is one of my favorite sayings. And as you say, <laughs> just go out and find your potential customers and find out what they'd mm-hmm. be interested in. Sonica, we're, we're getting towards the end of our interview. And what we like to do with all of our guests is ask you, if you could go back in time, and we usually say back in time to your 30-year-old self, but as that was only a year ago, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll go back in time to your 25-year-old self. Mm-hmm. So if you could go back to your 25-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself? I think uh, Sonica, don't self-reject. <laughs> <laughs> Sonica, so don't self-reject. Yeah. Yes, You've got an so, idea, at least try it out, basically. Yes. So I, I have this perfectionist kind of mindset, which I'm trying to recover from <laughs> and slightly uh, being successful at that. So I... I would want something to be very perfect. And until I feel that's very perfect, I don't go for it. I used to not go for it. And Alloy have really changed that, <laughs> I guess. So that's that's a piece of advice that I would like to give uh, to 25 years old Sonica, that don't self-reject and don't try to make something perfect. Just go out there and, and try it out and see if it's perfect. If, if it is not perfect, then you can always come back and improve, right? Otherwise, you are, you are always at uh, the same, Uh, point of time if you don't go and try it out. 
Such great advice, really is. Now, Sonica, thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. We've really enjoyed it. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you, more about Alloy Technologies or any other initiatives that you're involved in, where would they go? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's my full name. You can find me in any other social media uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, I'm Sonika Manander. And about Alloy, uh, it's Alloy Tech, A-E-L-O-I-T-E-C-H, or the website, aeloi.com. You can find uh, different blogs that's going on uh, there. And if you sign up for the newsletter, you get all the updates that happen every three uh, months at Alloy. So yeah, that's where you can go. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And we really commend you for the amazing work that you're doing and the incredibly difficult problems that you're solving. You know, it's it's really important to have people in the world like you who are really innovating and um, doing it with great purpose. So thank you for your mission. Thank you very much. Sonica must be such a fantastic and inspiring role model for younger women and girls in Nepal, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, the things she's achieved and the international recognition and educational opportunities she's earned are truly impressive for someone who's just 31. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even though she's a self-confessed introvert, I think that the way she takes risks and takes action, even when she's feeling discomfort, is such a good reminder for all of us. Yeah, totally agree. And you also just have to admire how Sonic is putting her talents to such innovative work. Almost everything she's done and is doing now gives back to her country and helps pull more people out of poverty. Yeah, and the fact that her business uses innovative technology to support green businesses is just awesome, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for another mini episode next week designed to help you future-proof yourself. In the meantime, stay well, stay safe and stay happy. Ciao for now.